0: Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our
1: Instagram to see what we're doing this week, and our website citychurchotr.com to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy.
0: Uh, This morning is going to be really awesome, and uh, I'm not saying that, there I am, I'm not saying that because I get to teach, but actually, I'm going to go through something for like 10 minutes, and uh, and I promise you're going to learn something, we're going to talk about worship, if you don't learn anything, uh, yeah, your money back, but in 10 minutes, uh, I'm going to invite up some friends, and we're going to be doing a little panel interview on worship, and so I think it's going to be good to hear both from worship leaders, not worship leaders, all four of them being normal people. But we thought, you know, it would be good to hear maybe a little bit of like an overview on worship because we're a church built around four values, uh, mission, uh, family mission, presence, and formation. And, uh, and that presence piece is really unique, specifically in uh, in pursuing the presence of God, which is such a core tenet of this church. And so I want to talk a little bit, really like going to jump in, um, about th- what worship has been, a theology, a history Ten minutes, relevance is coming, and then I'm going to invite up some friends. It's going to be really fun. But um, I, uh, and this is in your notes. I just want to say, worship. We can better understand it if we first understand what worship was. And so we're going to be like heavy Old Testament, as is my custom. But relevance is coming, and Jesus. Uh, it's hard to understand what Jesus did on the cross or in the grave, um, and coming out of the grave, if we don't first understand kind of the problem that he was solving. So. Um, First of all, worship, there's this great passage in Romans 12. And uh, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it says that we should offer our bodies, our lives, as living sacrifices. Amen. And uh, and so what Paul's saying is actually everything we do is worship. Everything we do. I mean, the way that we do the dishes and the way that we sing on a Sunday morning is worship. And uh, And I want to narrow the scope a little bit. And I want to talk about those specific moments that are set aside. Those specific moments, maybe on a Sunday morning... Or maybe it's a YouTube in your family room sometime where you're just going after the presence of God. And and there's this great conversation that happens in the Old Testament between Moses and Pharaoh. So Moses comes and says, you know, you need to let God's people go. And and Moses says this, let my people go. And he's speaking for God so that they may worship me in the wilderness. So worship is both something we do all the time forever. And there seems to be, a, you know, a biblical precedent For worship at a specific time at a specific place for like a specific purpose and and I want to talk about those moments those moments that we're called to gather corporately uh, and engage in going after God and worshiping him and and I I hear this a lot you've probably heard it but I a lot of times when people find out like what I do or just that I go to church uh, people say you know what that's so great I'm so glad you're a part of a church Uh, my relationship with God is more just me and him, so I don't really engage in community or I don't go to one of those things, but that's great for you. And I gotta say, every time they tell me, it sounds so spiritual when they say it that way, and maybe I feel a little bit ashamed. It's like, well, maybe I should just be me and God. But actually, as spiritual as it sounds, this like gathering, this corporate thing that we do, both in house groups on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, this is biblical, and this is the way that Jesus set it up. He set it up for us to gather and have specific moments of worship. So as spiritual as that sounds, it's actually not biblical. It's not right. It's not the thing Jesus came to institute. And so I want to talk this morning specifically about those moments that we gather um, and we pursue God in worship because I think there's more there than just like good musicians playing music. I think there's something else going on uh, other than that. So like most problems or issues in the Bible, we're going to start in either Genesis 1, Genesis 2, or Genesis 3. This morning, it just so happens to be Genesis 2. So I want to go to Genesis 2, 15 to 17. This is just Adam and God in the garden. There is no sin yet. Uh, that's not been like fractured in the world yet. And it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And, uh, and so aside from, and spoiler alert, they eat from the tree. <laughs> um, but aside from, like, what's coming, I want to just notice the way that things were before sin happened was God and man were completely and perfectly in union together. Like, they were in each other's presence. The presence of God was actually, like, with Adam in the garden. And then, again, spoiler alert, Genesis 3, they eat the fruit. And the big thing that happens there is not just fruit was eaten, but, like, rebellion against God has happened, and this perfect union that we have with God has now, like, fractured. And, and so God, being both holy and just, cannot be in the presence of God, like, cannot be in the presence of sin, cannot just say, well, that's no big deal, I'll just sweep it under the rug. And, and so that's kind of the issue that we have for the rest of time. But in his love, maybe that third big quality of God, in his love, he said, but I've got to get them back in my presence. The rest of the Bible is the outworking of this problem where we were with, in, in God's presence. It's been fractured and God in his love doesn't just say, well, I'm going to like let you figure it out because there is no figuring it out. He says, we've got to find a way to get them back into my presence. And so we see that outworking for the rest of the Bible. And at 95% of us, everything I just said, that's probably review. You've heard that story before. But the big thing with worship and even the big thing with the gospel is it's tough to handle like how good Jesus is if we don't first understand how bad the bad news was. And it's always, you know, Jesus has always been risen from the tomb in your lifetime. That's just an advantage that you have, but also a bit of a disadvantage because you don't know what it was like. We don't remember what it was like to have a pre-resurrected Jesus, to have actually the, the relationship between God and man not back together. And so I want to go um, from Adam to Noah, you know, this is still fractured, to uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's people go into captivity into Egypt for 400 years, and finally, and we've already read a little bit of it, but finally God tells a man Moses, and he says, look, it's time. It's time for me to start to institute a way to bring people back into my presence, And he starts to institute almost a system, like a system that he uh, creates to get God's people back. And and this one is in your notes. Worship before Jesus revolved around a temple. Worship before Jesus revolved around a temple, or even before the temple was built, it was kind of a mobile temple. We'll call it a tabernacle, because that's what it was called. (laughs) And, uh, And so it's this mobile temple that they took around, and that's where God's presence was. And God set up a system for us to start to ease back into his presence. And, uh, and, you know, we're still in preview services here um, at City Church. This is, uh, you yeah, just what we're doing until we have a more formal launch. Um, and when we do have that day or when we have a new church building, I would love to show you a picture of the temple. I thought this would be a great time for me to show you a slide behind me and point to it and say, this is what the temple looked like. So, Tyler, all I want for Christmas is a new church building. <laughs> um, and uh, because it's hard to understand what the temple looked like if there's not like an actual diagram and so you can google it on your own i won't believe that you're texting if you do that right now but it had all these courts and courts and courts and then i would show you um, a picture of me at the temple wall so i actually got to go to jerusalem and i stood next to the only wall that's still remaining on the temple it's called the wailing wall and uh, and you'd probably say something like that's cool so go ahead and practice oh thanks guys it was really cool and, uh, and then I'd probably so, show some fun picture because we're like halfway through, we're almost to the end. But the temple was like the whole basis around this system. And that is, it's not just some religious thing that like we need to get out of. That was God. That was God's system and it's where his presence actually resided. And it wasn't just in the whole temple, but you had like the big court, it was called the Court of Women and then it had the most holy place. And then there was a smaller room, the inmost room, and it was called the Holy of Holies. And that specifically was where the presence of God actually lived and uh, and it wasn't just like you could go there and hang out with him it was one man the high priest one day of year one day of the year got to go into that place and he had to take a special bath and put on special clothes I mean this was like a huge deal all of the nation watched as he went in there to sacrifice on behalf of the sin that his country had committed for the last year. This was actually the system that God orchestrated. And inside that that holy of the the most holy place, the holy of holies, was the presence of God, but there was a shield around it. There was kind of a shield that separated it from really the rest of the temple and the rest of humanity. And it was this big, giant curtain. And, And it was like not a curtain like you have in your bedroom, like incredibly heavy, like thickness of a phone book, like nobody, no light, no sound was getting through there. And so for one day a year, one man got to go in there, and he got to enter the presence of God, but he just got to go in there just to sacrifice um, animals on behalf of his people so that God's presence could be with man again. And, uh, and I know you're dying to read about that, that curtain. It's in Exodus 40. It's the part of the, uh, the Bible reading plan. If you've ever done a Bible reading plan, it's the part that you quit on, like, Six chapters of just God talking about the delic- like the, the details of the tabernacle and uh, the, it's equally inspired, it is inspired by God. It's not that inspiring, but as we read those six chapters and we see God giving the detail for the tabernacle, it actually lays out, man, God seems to care about this place and he seems to care about what was going on in it. And so this was, and I think I want to like just pause here for a second and I want to say this wasn't religion like bad form of religion. This wasn't silly. This was actually how God instituted us to be in his presence. So this is what maybe worship looks like now on a Sunday morning. But 2,000 years ago, worship looked like um, one guy, uh, among other things, but one guy going into God's presence just trying to get right with God. And I want you to imagine, let's say that you've been separated from God's presence. I want you to imagine the, the like, angst that you would feel as you watched him go in there and hope that the sacrifice was accepted and to hope that you would have another year of being in God's presence. And then I want you to imagine both the joy and the peace that the people, God's people, must have felt getting right with God. The incredible joy and peace that it took to be like, okay, there's one more year. Of us being back in God's presence. Because they could not imagine. And I can't imagine. A life without his presence. Intimately involved in my life. And I highly doubt. That as they watched that man go in there. That they were uh, regretting the cost of the bull. Or the dove. Um, or the goat. I highly doubt that they were um, concerned with the cost. They were just so concerned. With what it looked like to have relationship. Made right again with God. And, and so. I want to I kind of pause there. I know, what a cliffhanger. Um, but I want to pause there, and I want you to remember that God's presence currently, where we're at in the story, is sitting behind a curtain. It's like the massive, heavy curtain that nobody can get through, nobody's allowed to go into. And I want to pause right there because that's kind of what worship was left at. And, uh, and let's imagine that you don't know how the story ends or who comes to save the day because you've never been to Sunday school. Um, but I want to just leave it right there and say, man, this was worship. This was what worship looked like um, for us to be back into God's presence. And uh, so put a bookmark there. I want to invite my friends down. Um, I set you guys up so well. I just did 10 minutes of, like, Jewish law. So if you can't keep their attention now, (laughs) I have, like, done my best. So we have, I asked four, like, great people, but also four very different people to be up here. You'll recognize a couple of these people. They, like, lead us in song. So we have, like, worship leaders. We have... Uh, a drummer, we have not a worship leader, but these are people that I've just kind of observed um, some more closely than others. But uh, I've observed and I've been like, oh, these people I think start or they understand a little bit more about worship. And, uh, and they understand what it looks like to like engage in worship more fully. Um, so you look ready. I am. Um, why? I just want to do this a quick like intro. I want you guys to tell me like who you are and maybe a quick relationship that you have with worship.
1: Do you want me to start? I do. Okay, perfect. Um, you said that, what's the second question? Uh, who you are and uh, like a brief history. What's your relationship with worship? Okay, um, so I'm Samuel Greenhill. I just I just attend this church and, um, and I love Chris. He just so. attends this church and he's invited like half of you here. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I would say my relationship, you're, Uh, i will probably repeat this a lot during this panel but just like my relationship with god through worship is just like receiving grace and fully understanding how to uh fully receive that that grace from the lord so it's uh worship up to me is all about understanding what it means to actually like know god's love for you it's good It's good
2: hi i'm abby um i'm one of leaders here um, at City Church OTR, Um, married to Josh. She does our sound a lot. Um, Yeah, what is worship to me? What's my relationship been? Um, I started when I was about 16 years old leading worship. Um, And if I was to sum it up in maybe one sentence, it's that worship has been like a lifeline for me. Um, Mm. I struggled with a lot of uh, mental health issues, especially when I was younger. Um, And the fact that I was able to still... Lead and be in the presence of God um, by leading worship was a lifeline for me. Maybe I'll explain more of that later, but
0: yeah. That's good. And like she lives worship. I've gotten to know Abby for uh, the last few years and like lives as a real worshiper. So what you see up here is not just a show. Um, this is like real authentic worship. Um, let's start with
3: you, Nick. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Chris, have you been working out? Jeez, I mean, <laughs> well, arms poking yep. through there. Uh, Can I go to the stage <laughs> <laughs> my name is Nick. Um, I uh, yeah play drums here. Um, my relationship with worship so started when I was a kid. My family was uh, very musical, kind of like the Partridge family at our church. Um, so I remember singing Jesus Loves Me at like the age of four um, in front of the <laughs> church. And then in college, led worship at Crew at Ohio State. Um, and I would say a-, a joke that I'm a recovering worship leader, so I haven't led worship in a while. And have been on a journey of re-engaging with worship when it's not uh, like a key part of my um, service to the church. So it's been a great journey. But I also realized that I'm sorry. I just I'm full of jokes today. That the drummer really has way more power than the 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 guitarist. So so follow you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
4: I'm Catherine. I also help lead worship here. I'm married to Chris. and my, my journey with worship, I grew up in a more traditional church, uh, so did choir from like fourth grade to uh, twelfth grade, um, so like singing as part of um, a group, um, but then we, we lived out in Vegas, um, kind of put that aside, that was my experience with worship, very traditional, make it sound pretty. Um, And then in Vegas felt like God was calling me to actually like sing and lead by myself which is terrifying for me um, because I do not like talking in front of people let alone singing. So it was like okay I will trust you and step out and um, yeah use my voice to lead other people um, just from a place of I hope authenticity and purity. Um, And yeah God's really used worship a lot and like just kind of stepping out and taking that risk over the last few years to build me up, to encourage me and um, to encourage other people too. So it's been good.
0: And uh, you do need to understand this is such a labor of love for Catherine to be up here. She doesn't like talking in front of people, but also (laughs) the most authentic worshiper I know. So it's like, you have to be here. Um, But yeah, she, uh, she lives this at home also. I get to see like firsthand what goes on at home. So I've got just a few questions that I wanted to ask, um, these guys specifically, um, around some of the, like, what goes on in your mind in those moments of worship or even outside of like worshipful moments. So, um, Abby, I'll start with you. What does a worshipful life look like, or what do you think that looks like to you?
2: Yeah. Um, I will say that it's changed over the years. Um, to be honest, when I was younger, starting out, um, it was a lot of, just playing worship music outside of the home, stuff like that, um, and I just, that was the main way that I experienced the Lord. Um, I was a dancer growing up, so music and art was a huge way for me to experience the Lord, and so obviously, I mean, I, I love worship music, um, and I loved having it on in my house just growing up, and then and then things changed when we had kids. Um, we don't get to play a ton of worship music. We're usually playing like Minnie Mouse or like princess music and stuff, and so like I'm figuring out how to worship the Lord through those kinds of things, probably through the joy of my children, right? Um, but right now, I'm at 27. What does it look like outside of Sunday mornings is, um, is finding the Lord in really small places, um, in the very mundane, normal things. And so, um, like I said, I love art and I love nature, things like that. And so, I guess this past year and a half, just seeing the Lord speak to me um, through the changing of leaves or we got to watch baby birds be born um, this spring, um, or sitting outside and watching the wind blow through the leaves and the trees and um, flowers blooming, all that kind of stuff, it's caused my heart to worship and give thanks to the Lord Mm. um, in a way that I don't know if I've ever done before, but it's the the really small, it's that still small voice, those still small things um, that are pretty constant in my life that the lord has asked me to really pay attention to and so yeah i'd say um a worshipful life right now looks like paying attention and being really aware of what's around me and what jesus is showing me um about him yeah
0: yeah, yeah so. that's good and i do i feel like i hear that a lot in the maturing it's like both of these moments these grand moments of worship but also in the little things yeah
2: mm-hmm. it's so. both a, yeah it's it's both and both are very sustainable yeah yeah,
1: yeah. samuel um, so, I also started out with just like classic, just you know, worship. You're playing worship music in the background, but um, it wasn't um, for me, uh, it's not as proactive on actually thinking about the attributes of God and focusing on the Lord. Um, f- and I found that it's almost like I would just use that in the background and not even mm-hmm. do anything about it. And right. I think worship music is wonderful, um, but I want it to actually act and on learning to focus on the Lord. So some weird thing I do um, is I actually will record myself. I turn on my voice memos and while I drive, I act like I'm on the phone with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, I often like will tell him things I'm thankful for. Mm-hmm. And what's really intriguing is I have actually seen how my body will change. So like I am, uh, as some you guys know, I have this like weird, like GI issues like that, like, will irritate me from time to time. And uh, when it starts acting up, I will know to like really focus on thankfulness and I will like feel the symptoms go down the more thankful I become. Awesome. Um, and then I also just pray for like the Lord to speak to me through um, imagery as well. Um, and like by like asking those questions. And um, when I will like drive, it's almost like you will point to something and say like, this is an aspect of you and um, like most recent one I love telling everyone is I was just like, Lord, I don't understand how like um, I can be a sinner and yet you will still give me grace. And um, basically I, he just gave me this image of this abandoned mansion. Um, and he was like, I see you as abandoned mansion where the only two thoughts you think of it is when you say, look how beautiful it is and I want to restore it. And there's mm-hmm. never any thoughts of that's look how good. moldy it is. Look how gross we need to tear it down. It's, that's never your thoughts. You just think yeah. it's beautiful. Awesome. I want to restore it. I, uh, so I did tell them a little bit of the questions
0: I was going to be asking I had no idea the answers I want you can you go in a little bit on so you feel symptoms of you know the GI thing and you just go into thankfulness
1: yeah tell S- us about that because uh-huh. that's incredible well I so, so I love having control over my life I think we all do um, and so suddenly feeling your life being taken over um, is anxiety driven it's uh, it makes you desperate for. Grasping onto things and making sure you have control. I'm sure you guys are like me where when you feel a lot of anxiety You clean your room. Um, It's like it gives a sense of like, okay, I can do something Um, so what I have learned is uh, The more as I've been working through this uh, the more I've seen like the dependency on just focusing on God and um, That almost seems to be like my body is crying out of like you are you are putting too much weight on yourself Want. And That's I've so been good. trying to do so much of my life on my own and um, be the best version of myself, make sure I'm perfection, make sure everyone sees the best version of me. And it's like, I feel like my body is just shut down because of it. And the Lord was just like, no. Wow. Hmm.
0: Dude, that, is, that is incredible. Yeah. I, uh, I'm glad you shared that. Um, so I, and I wrote all of these questions. We didn't have like them submitted in, but if there was submitted, one submitted in, I feel like this would be the most asked. And, uh, and so I want to ask, how does worship pair with anxiety? And I specifically wanted to ask Catherine and Abby, because I know they both have experience with this. So Catherine, what does worship or worshipful moments look like in those moments of anxiety?
4: Yeah, um, so it's obviously very hard. Um, if any of you have have experienced anxiety, I'm sure most of you have. Um, the thing that strikes me about the combination is that Um, worship if you're listening to worship music and singing it out the words are actually already written um, unless you're writing your own song but oftentimes we're just listening to two songs and the words are already written and in the middle of anxiety trying to like wrangle your thoughts is really difficult Um, and so to have words that are written that are true um, that are opposite probably of what's going on in your mind is super powerful has been really powerful for me personally um, when I can't think of truth because um, my mind just is not in control basically um, so as I've as I've um, experienced this and listen to worship music and then singing it out and singing out things that are true I mean it's kind of similar to what Sam was saying too like things in my head start to align more um, as I sing out truth, as I declare, this is reality. What's going on in my head right now is is not the reality I have to live in. I can live in a different one that's um, eternal, that um, is dependent, that's yeah. foundational, that yeah, that isn't changing with my emotions. Um, so yeah, that's been a really powerful thing for me is just being able to sing words that are true um, in the midst of lots of lies in my head
0: yeah and uh and this is like this is still very much in it for you like she's not like oh and i remember what it used to feel like to have anxiety um and so we're not trying to present like we've got this together um hopefully you guys get there but very much still in the midst of it and so um abby how does worship pair with anxious thoughts with
2: you yeah Kat, that was really great i love that i yeah um I feel like that's played a huge role in my life as well um, so yeah again when I was younger and I was about 16 that's when depression started to uh, just really take over my life um, and like I said worship was a was a huge lifeline for me um, there were very few ways that I felt the presence and an actual goodness of God um, outside of worship and so um, to actually be allowed to step into that and to lead in the midst of that I mean was was very life-saving for me um it it reminded me that like that God was good um and I actually could tangibly feel his presence in those moments when most of the time in my life I couldn't um and so yeah I'm just forever grateful that um that I saw the opportunity when I was younger and so um as I got healthier um in a better stage with um depression I think one of my main practices um I think Amari out in Vegas, a friend of ours, he would always talk about just laying things um, before Jesus, before he'd walk on stage. And so I made that a practice and still try to do that now. And also why we do things, do that centering time before worship each Sunday, um, is I would, if I was having a really bad day, um, but I knew that I had to help lead worship, like I I would consciously lay that before the Lord and say, well, well, Lord, you're still worthy, even though I am so sad this morning.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You're still worth all of me, everything that I have to offer. I'm going to give it to you. I'm My heart's in pain, my mind's in pain, but I'm just going to give it to you, and I just pray that you'd work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's something, as I'm learning and getting older, I think there's really something beautiful about worshiping from a very vulnerable state and from a state... Um, of anxiety and depression, and that the Lord moves in intense power when you're willing to lay that down, not aside, because it's real, but you're laying it down before him and saying, despite this, despite all of this, I'm, I'm going to do what I can this morning to bring you glory. So,
0: yeah, I, I love that. Were you going to say something? Oh, I, I love that. Um. Because I think there's this thought, right? And maybe you feel this, Abby, of like, you lead worship, so like you've got to have it together. Mm -hmm. And there's this thought, even when we engage in worship, that it's like, okay, well, Jesus is worth it, so get over yourself. And that's true, but that's also not the posture that we're after of like, Jesus cares. Like, there's a reason he said, give me your burdens, my yoke is heavy, Uh, my burden is light. is because he actually wanted to carry them with us and for us. And so worship isn't just, a, okay, this is my duty before Jesus um, because he needs it or he's worth it. But it's also this engaging and telling your soul um, yeah. what is going on. So I love that. Yeah. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe along the lines of vulnerability, I wanted to ask, because there's moments in my life that everything like changed in a worship setting. Um, but maybe, Nick, and you can start. Is there like a moment where your perspective changed or something in your life changed through
3: moments of worship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we'll just give you a a quick, quick version of this story. But when I was 26 years old, um, yeah, my life kind of blew up in my face. Um, So the most important relationship in my life, I was married at the time. That relationship ended. Um, The The job I had, Uh, I was working for a ministry at the time. Subsequently, they had asked me to step down. So 26, found myself kind of at what felt like rock bottom, um, questioning a lot of God's goodness and, uh, frankly, like what the heck God was doing and uh, what was going on. So um, it was really tough to engage with the Lord during that season. Um, Really, I think, had a, a myopic view of my pain and what was going on in my life. So I was in uh, Denver visiting my brother um, and at church with he and my sister-in-law, um, and it, it was a particular worship service that they were singing Cornerstone um, by Hillsong, which at the time, like, you could have gone to like, any church in the world, and there would have been like a 90% chance that, so it wasn't like a crazy specific song, but for whatever reason, um, I felt the spirit of God nudging me to just take my eyes off myself and my circumstances and, and look at him. And he used that time of worship just to really cement some truths about himself that I mm-hmm. so desperately needed to know. Uh, for that season, it really served as anchors and tethers, um, and to use another image, a- as a ballast in the midst of mm-hmm. what would be a really storm stormy season of life. Um, but yeah, I would say that that is a an example yeah. of a moment where perspective definitely. Yeah,
1: it's rich. really good. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Same for you. Sam. Um, So uh, I went to uh, biblical counseling when I was in high school and um, I was kind of led in a way that was very much led by shame Mm. um, as a way that if I was shamed enough, I could it could work on my I I was uh, struggling with porn and uh, the idea was that if I was like shamed into an idea of how far I was pushing myself away from the Lord and just the damage I was causing. And just like focus on the damage, focus on the damage that like that would make it accurate. And um, as some of you guys probably are aware, um, shame breeds more shame and will just drive Mm -hmm. you deeper into whatever you were trying to run away from. And even if you run away from porn, we can say it's like it will rebrand itself because the Mm -hmm. shame is still there and you're not receiving Jesus. So um, worship in this way and in the form of music, Um, Did actually have to help me reteach a lot that was a lot of damage that was caused during biblical counseling of like getting to relearn what the Lord Lord had to say about me, Mm. um, not just what my counselor because I realized I formed my counselor as God Mm -hmm. and my perspective of God was always surrounded around him. And so worship helped me break that. And um, in that in that love in that acceptance, you actually do find not just freedom, but um, Healing, um, where you can actually address those things, and it's not just um, you're evil and you're the scum of the earth or something. It's like you're able to see like the heart of things, and the Lord gets to take you through those steps. So, um, yeah, worship really helped me receive
0: that grace. Yeah, I think there's a reason so many worship songs, um, and the Bible talks a lot about this, but talk about breaking off shame. And I think mm-hmm. it's exactly that because there is it's one of the enemy's favorite tools to keep us from the presence of God and from a wanting relationship with him is that shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a, another question I feel like I, I'm asking this cause I'd love to know, but how do you worship when you don't feel like it? How do you worship like when you're not feeling in a worshipful mood? Um, and I'll start with you, Catherine.
4: Yeah, um, again, I think this is hard to do um, because I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe more so as women, we rely on our emotions, but um, I know yeah, guys do too. Um, And it's, it it can be hard to sift through that when you aren't feeling it. Um, But at the same time, kind of going back to what I had said about anxiety too, worshiping from a place of knowledge, like there's a beautiful opportunity there that we don't get when we are feeling it. Like when we have those emotions and it's easy and hands are raised because it's like, God is amazing and things are great and I love him and I'm so grateful when that's not there to be able to choose like okay no God you are who you say you are even if I don't feel it like in my heart or my mind right now you are who you say you are you're an eternal God like people have been worshiping you for thousands of years and I get to partner with you in that this morning Um, and there have been Thousands of people that have worshiped from that place of not feeling it either. Um, I think there's just, there's more power in some ways in the choosing worship um, in the middle of not feeling it. That's because good. we're, we're um, worshiping from a place of knowledge and like, God, you are worthy regardless of how I feel right now. You are worthy outside of myself. I'm joining in with something bigger than myself um, and worshiping from that place is, is really beautiful and something that we don't, we don't get um, in the middle of feeling it. So it's, um, it is a cool place to be, even though it is a hard place. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Nick, what about you?
3: Yeah, no, I, I love that. Thanks for sharing. Um, I, I would say, I think there are a thousand ways you can answer this question. For me, I think uh, remembering the tenderness that God has toward us Um, is really huge when I don't feel like worshiping. So Psalm 103 comes to mind. Um, The fact that God, he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And he has compassion for us like a father has compassion for his kids. Um, When I'm not feeling it, as I reflect on God's tender heart toward his kids, that for me tends to be a catalyst to to still engage nonetheless. yeah, trusting that God knows that we'll have bad days and bad weeks and bad months and bad years, uh, and yet still chooses to love love us and invite us into worship is uh, um, yeah, is huge for me.
0: Yeah. That's really great. Um, can you guys thank these guys for being up here and answering? Yeah, there's a, there's a reason um, that I wanted to ask these guys. One, their stories are all different. And, uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and volunteer them. If you want to talk more about it, they're available. Um, and whichever maybe story or, or piece um, agreed or kind of sat in your spirit. But I, uh, I love getting to hear, you know, we talk about family all the time. I love getting to hear from the family. And, and so we're going to go into worship in just a second. I want to I finish a little bit because, um, you know, we kind of left it uh, hanging. I want to finish why worship is so significant. And why as a New Testament, as a New Testament church after Jesus, why it looks different than what it was. Um, and if you read Revelation, you know, you see what heaven's going to look like or even what's going on there now. And it's this idea that we're anticipating and also participating in what is coming. So there's a view and you can read Revelation 7 or Revelation 21's Great. And we see what the world is going to be or what heaven is even doing right now. And worship is not just us saying, OK, I guess I've got to do this but you actually it's one of those few moments and i don't i don't see promises of like sermons in heaven or house groups in heaven i do see promises of worship in heaven mm-hmm. and so when we worship when we have those distinct moments set aside we're actually participating in what's going on in heaven yeah. that's crazy awesome. we're actually participating we're getting to see just a glimpse cuz we don't have the fullness right now But we get to see a glimpse of what is going on in heaven. So I want you to remember right now, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Exodus 40, big heavy curtain, Holy of Holies. So we're sitting there, and the presence of God, you know, this is 2,000 years ago. The presence of God is behind this curtain. It's behind this curtain, and there is no access to it. There has to be something that, like, would remove that, because right now it's just segregated from the rest of mankind And what Jesus did, you know, this is the way worship looked even during Jesus' life. But what Jesus did in his final moment, it's in Matthew 27, I'll, I'll read it. What he did in his final moment was not just significant because he died and was resurrected, but there was something in his death and resurrection that changed. And so in Matthew 27, 50 and 51, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. And if we weren't all like crazy scholars like we are now, you would just think like, well, that's a unique earthquake. But actually something spiritually significant we know because of that curtain. The curtain, which is like phone book thickness. So it's not just a, oh, the wind blew. The phone book thick curtain was ripped from top to bottom, and so where the presence of God was kind of kept separate from the rest of mankind, now there is no divide there. So at the death of Jesus, the, the distinction, the, the difference, the separation between God and man actually was removed. Yeah. Oh man, is this thing on? At the death of Jesus, the the distinction, the separation between the presence of God and man was actually ripped in half, and it's that way now. Amen. So there's a, there's a whole different theological framework that we're working out of where we don't go to temples and we don't sacrifice animals and we don't send one man to go there. Actually, you have access. We have access and we engage in that access with the presence of God in a completely different way because the temple curtain was torn. That changes That changes everything. And as I was like thinking about this this week and we drove to Indiana where we're from and I'm listening to worship and it just started to hit me. Man, I don't have to feel it every time because the curtain's still torn. Yeah. I don't have to like not have anxiety or I don't have to not have peace currently because the temple curtain is still torn. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I also meet a lot of people and praise God, I'm an emotional guy, which has negatives a lot of times, but it doesn't, it does help me worship. But other people, I mean, and specifically men, a lot of times talk about, you know what, I'm just... I'm just not a worshiper. It's just not my thing. You know, I'm more reserved or I'm more introverted or it's kind of just a personality difference. And and those things are real. Personality differences are real. But you might not have, if you don't feel like worship is your thing, it might not be a personality preference. It might be a theology issue. It might be this issue where you kind of forget, actually, this is not just for you. There's something spiritually that happened 2,000 years ago that changes the way that we interact with the presence of God. Yeah. I, uh, in like the year 2000, I mean basically 95 to 2005, I was the world's biggest NBA fan. I mean, and that's not like an exaggeration. Like I was the world's biggest NBA fan. <laughs> and I knew everybody that started for every team, especially the Pacers, first in, last out, all of that. Um, I couldn't tell you that now. But my brother and I were just obsessed with basketball, and we were obsessed with basketball cards. So we would go to this card shop, and, uh, and everything was half off, which I thought was stupid, because it's like, why don't you just lower the price? But it's a $10 card, and then you, know, you can buy it for $5. And if we would go and we would buy enough, whether because it was like a good return marketing model or we were just cute, um, he would give us, this guy, the owner, would throw in a few packs of cards. And there was always trash in there, like Knicks players. And uh, so we would go and we would buy a bunch of these like good cards that we could see, and then he'd throw in a couple packs, and uh, and again, usually nothing good or of value is in there. But I remember one day, we went, and we bought like a ten dollar, I don't know, maybe a Tim Duncan card, if that dates this at all. And uh, and so they throw in a couple packs, and my brother getting the, car, my brother and I get in the car, we're in the back seat, and we're like taking the Tim Duncan out, we're putting it in the case, and I I might have sat on the pack, we were probably throwing them around, we didn't care. Because there was nothing ever good in there and and we're almost home and I remember it's like oh we should probably open these like just to make sure and it's you know, John Starks Charles Oakley Knicks player Knicks player and uh, and then it was like wait it was a Vince Carter rookie card and you know in the year 2000 I'm taking your silence as pure astonishment
2: because
0: <laughs> we all know about Vince Carter in 2000 Vince Carter was the man and he was like the first guy to go through the legs in the slam dunk contest uh, there was this thing sweeping like the NBA world called Vinsanity. I had Vinsanity, and we took it out, and we immediately knew because we knew the price of every card. This is a $50 card. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fi-. and, and so as we pull in the garage, my brother's like clearing things out from the hallway so I don't trip as I'm taking this card back to my bedroom and to put it in the case. And, uh, and it, honestly, I mean, it was a whole other issue, like probably a worshipful issue that was not good. But I'm carrying the card there, and I'm thinking about that story <laughs> And I'm thinking, I treated that card so differently mm-hmm. on the way into the house versus the way into the car. Now, rhetorical question, but did the, did the card appreciate in value from the in the car ride to my house? No, of course not. Like, it was the same value. What happened was I started to realize the value of the thing I already had. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I had sat on that card probably five minutes before, and now I'm carrying it like it's like a tablet of gold. So something changed, not in the card, but in me, where I started to realize the value of the thing that I'd already had the whole time. And worship is the same thing. Worship's the same thing. It's not that you've got to conjure up emotion, or it's not that you've got to, you know, get more of God once you go to 100 church services or something like that. It's actually something that you already have possession of, but it's us starting to dust it off a little more and more and realize the value of the thing that we already have. And so we're going to go into worship. I want to read Psalm 95 it says, the psalmist says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So he's talking, and it's this, like, emotion that's welling up inside of him, and he starts to sing, and he says, I want you to shout aloud to the Lord of our salvation. And then right after that, he says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. So it's both this emotional conjuring up, it's this, like, overflowing of singing and shouting and there's a part of worship that is just reverence and there's a part of worship where we say he's worth it no matter what I'm feeling I don't have the emotion but it's time to bow I don't have the emotion but it's time to kneel it's time to submit to the king and worship should look like both of those things worship should look like both of those things and sometimes we feel it We feel this pressure where it's like, well, I've got to lift my hands because everyone else is doing it. And I've got to engage emotionally because everyone else is doing it. And it's not just an emotional moment. It's not just an emotional moment, but it's responding to something that you already have. It's responding to a theological reality that happened 2,000 years ago when the presence of God now has access to the rest of mankind. And so it's both and, and we talk a lot about tensions here, but I want to just challenge you right now. I want to challenge us, uh, because we've got plenty of time to go into worship now. We've got, we set this up on purpose. I want to challenge you to go in a little bit deeper. I want to challenge you to go into the Lord's presence just a little bit more. And if that means maybe singing for the first time, let's do it. If that means that you're maybe raising your hands, or you can use this room, you can pace back and forth, you can pray, you can pray for someone else. But I want to just take a moment. I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to get closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, which now actually we have access to. And so, God, we give you this moment. God, we give you this moment. God, I don't want just another, like, emotional moment where I have to conjure up anything, but, God, I actually want to see your presence. And, God, would you meet us here, and would you help us to engage more and more and more? We thank you that the curtain is torn. We have access to you. Hallelujah. Thank you,
2: Jesus.